Well, good morning, church family. It's so good to be with you. Well, uh, this summer, our oldest daughter, Avery, uh, began T-ball, and somehow I became the coach. <laughs> it's a whole new, yeah. Does not, it does not deserve that. Um, well, I quickly found out something very that you guys might have known. Coaching t-ball is kind of like trying to explain another world. I, I mean, the ways of t-ball do not match the ways of this world. These little five-year-olds who their entire life, their, entire, their long entire life, have been told not to hit, right? Don't hit your sister, don't hit the wall. And then all of a sudden they're handed a bat and told, go swing at that ball as hard as you can. These kids, they don't know anything about how the world of t-ball works. It's explaining a new reality. First practice, you know, we get together, we start with the basics, running bases. You know, you hit the ball, and then you run to first. We practice it, right? I gather them together, and I'm like, do you understand what we're doing? Like, yeah! So much enthusiasm. But without fail, during a game, a kid hits the ball off the tee and takes off towards third. I'm without fail. Learning t-ball is like being introduced to a whole different reality. I bring this story up because our passage today is sort of like teaching t-ball to five and six-year-olds. But Jesus isn't teaching about the way of t-ball. Instead, he's teaching about the way of the kingdom. At the end of our passage, right, he gathers his disciples together and he says, do you understand? Do you understand? It's their question then and it's our question today. Do you understand the kingdom of heaven? Jesus teaches us the kingdom through parables, right? In verse 34 and 35, which we'll get to, but I want to bring it up because it it speaks to what Jesus is doing. Matthew quotes here from Psalm 78, telling us that Jesus spoke only in parables, fulfilling this psalm which says, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. That's what Jesus is doing. And Matthew mentions this to key us to what's going on. Chapter 13 is the the center of the book of Matthew. And in many ways, it's a lens for reading the rest of the book. Here, Jesus is disclosing the wisdom of the kingdom that he has been announcing and has been teaching on. And he uses parables to do this. Pastor Josh talked about parables a little bit last week as as we started this, this rich chapter how they both conceal and reveal. They're often difficult riddles or similes, but so profound. So profound. As one scholar says, Jesus is not, he's not giving instruction about what to do so much as reimagining how the world is. Jesus is giving a picture of reality and inviting us to inhabit that reality. You see, Jesus is, he's divulging to us the true nature of the kingdom and inviting us to see the world with new eyes. Because the king, as we'll find, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that Jesus brings, it's not what we might expect. But it is more than we could imagine. It's not what we might expect, but it is more than we could imagine. So if you would go ahead and open your Bibles to chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 24. And while there's so much Jesus is teaching us, we are going to learn three main realities about this kingdom of heaven. Three main realities about this kingdom of heaven. 
So if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Chapter 13, we'll start in verse 24. It's a long passage. So He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what the prophet, what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds and the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. But he said to them, 
Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. The first reality that Jesus teaches us about his kingdom is that the kingdom of heaven is unexpected. We're going to spend a lot of time in this section in this on this point because we're going to observe two reasons why this kingdom is unexpected. Uh, Jesus begins, right, by comparing the kingdom to a man who sowed good seed in his field. It's verse 24. Later on in verse 36, Jesus is going to give an explanation of this parable and And I'll bring in some of those explanations as we go along. First, we see that Jesus explains that the farmer is really the son of man, or or Jesus himself. It's it's what he's doing. It's what he's doing right now. And the seed is the sons of the kingdom. But his field, or really his world, ends up having both wheat and weeds in it. And the weeds are sons of the evil one. Now, it appears like the wheat and the weeds are seemingly indistinguishable, right? Because the servants, you'll notice that they don't, they don't notice that there are weeds in the field until the wheat starts to bear grain, right? So Jesus was probably talking about uh, this common weed called darnel, right? So some of your Bible footnotes may even have that, have that uh, notated there. In some regions, this weed was known as false wheat because it looks so similar But unlike wheat, Darnell is poisonous. So you have the wheat and the weeds that look so similar while they're growing up. And yet while one bears grain, the other bears poison. And so the servants, upon noticing this, they come to the master. And and you can hear them. They come to the master kind of questioning his work. almost, Almost accusing him of poor stewardship. I mean, if you look, you can hear the faint disappointment in their words. Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? They're at a loss. What happened? What went wrong? And in fact, we find they're asking one of the most difficult questions. One of the most difficult questions that a believer of Christ can ask. Maybe you've wrestled with it. I definitely have. I definitely have. I mean, if God is so good and so great... If this is his world, then why does evil exist? Why does evil exist in his world? Notice how the servants, they they question the master. What went wrong? Their their expectation is that shouldn't there be wheat in your world? You planted. I mean, to the far extreme, they seem to question whether he did a good job or not. And it's an honest question, right? Surely you've asked it. If Jesus really is as powerful as he says he is, if he truly is king, if he really is good, then why do bad things keep happening? Why is there so much opposition and hostility and evil toward God and his people? I mean, it's not just like a confusing intellectual question, but right at, but at the heart it's... Uh, communicating a little bit of disappointment. I mean, you can hear it in their voice. We come to Jesus' kingdom for refuge from the enemy, don't we? I mean, first century Jews definitely would have been disappointed. I mean, here's this guy who shows up on the scene. 
He can do, he can do miracles. He can do things no one else has seen. We're ready for him to take charge, to put all his enemies under his feet. I mean, at a couple points, they kind of rally around Jesus and try to, you know, let, let's do this thing. And Jesus, but Jesus doesn't want none of that. So what's the deal? What's the deal? Well, the master answers their questions, right? He says, an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. Which at the time isn't that surprising. Uh, the practice of sowing darnel in a, in a neighbor or an enemy's field was quite common. I mean, there, there are even Roman laws against this practice of trying to destroy your neighbor's crop. This enemy, we learn, is Satan. Church, one of the main reasons evil exists in our world is because there is an enemy. It's a significant point. It's a significant point of the reality that Jesus is painting. We live in a world where there is an enemy and he is at work and he is cunning and he is ruthless. And we would do well to acknowledge that point. But the question still remains, God, if you're all powerful, great, there, an enemy sowed this, but why is it still here? I mean, the servants, they respond how you might imagine, right? Unsurprisingly, they, they're ready to fix the problem. They ask if they should go gather up the weeds, right? More than willing, they want to go make life easier for the wheat to remove the opposition or the, the competition for nutrients in the field. I mean, it, it just makes sense. And yet, yet here's the surprising part. The master says no. And it's one of the first reasons the kingdom is so unexpected. Because in God's kingdom, evil is allowed to grow for a time. In God's kingdom, evil is allowed to grow. It's, it's unexpected and it's hard. We feel it every day. Why would God, why would God allow the weeds to grow? Now, now, I should mention, Jesus isn't just handing out some gardening advice, right? I mean, you're not likely to find this principle in your K-State ag books. Although if you came to my house, you might think that I'm ascribing to the Matthew 13 principle of gardening. But No, Jesus is painting a picture of the kingdom. The reason the weeds are allowed to grow, as he, as he says, as he explains, is for the sake of the wheat. It's for the sake of the wheat. The master says, wait, give it time. Let them grow together. Don't try to remove the weeds too early or you might damage the sons of the kingdom. You might do damage to the sons of the kingdom by doing this, this dramatic, drastic action. Of course, the kingdom of heaven doesn't allow evil to persist forever. We'll get to that. Verse 41 says the evil is removed out of the kingdom. But I'll get to that point as we approach the last parable this morning. The first point, though, that Jesus is making, the surprising, unexpected point that Jesus is making is that for now, the kingdom is mixed with sons of the kingdom and sons of evil existing and growing together. Now, in the middle of this parable of the weeds and its explanation, Jesus tells two other parables. And, and I think this is purposeful because Jesus is building on our understanding of how the kingdom grows. All these metaphors deal with sort of growth. And in contrast to maybe the dramatic action of pulling up the weeds, 
for the kingdom, we find that the kingdom grows and permeates through the small and the hidden. All right, I mean, so in the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven, we find the second reason the kingdom is unexpected. It's unexpected because it is small and hidden. Jesus says the kingdom he is bringing is like a small mustard seed or hidden leaven. And this isn't what the Jews or you and I might expect. I mean, we expect a kingdom like God's to come in loud and proud, right? I mean, I I have the image uh, of Aladdin arriving in Agrabah, you know, ostentatiously loud singing music, a spectacle that no one could miss. Instead, Jesus stresses the smallness, the commonplace the everyday sort of nature of the kingdom. And yet, this smallness doesn't stay small, but it's pervasive. It's not about pulling all the weeds to remove the opposition. It's about living out the kingdom that inconspicuously grows and multiplies. While the weeds and the wheat present sort of the static picture of the kingdom, it's modified by these two parables that, prevent a, that present a very dynamic growing, multiplying, transforming kingdom. And we find here too that the waiting theme continues, right? I mean, a seed doesn't grow overnight. Yet the seed grows so that birds of the air can make nests in its branches. At this point, Jesus, he's, he's making a direct allusion to another parable uh, from Ezekiel 17. And in that parable, uh, In that parable, the Lord plants Israel and they become a great cedar where birds of the air come to nest. And I think it's interesting. I don't know why Jesus chooses to to talk about a a mustard bush that grows about 8 to 15 feet high rather than a mighty cedar. But the common thing that we learn from Ezekiel is that the birds represent the nations of the world that come to find refuge and benefit in the kingdom of heaven. A couple years ago, a book came out uh, written by this secular scholar from England. His name was Tom Holland. Uh, the book's called Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. And Tom, is, he's not a Christian, he's a secular guy. But in this book, he argues, he admits, really, confesses, <laughs> that the modern values of our secular culture, the, the, the good ones of love and grace and patience and all those things, are actually based in Christianity. You see, the Western world, they actually wants, wants to claim that you can have a just and loving world apart from God. And yet, they're fooling themselves because their very desire for those things are built on a history of, of Christianity, of the values of Christianity that have transformed the world. And this is remarkable. I mean, we, in fact, owe many of the foundations of our modern society to Christianity. And I find this remarkable and very reminiscent of this parable, the kingdom and its values that started out of the mustard seed in the world of the Romans and the Greeks who no one wants to live like today. This seed grew to the extent that it transformed and shaped the world as we know it. So what does all this mean for us? In God's kingdom, if, if evil is allowed to grow, And if it's small and hidden, then what are we to do? What are we to do? 
There are at least two responses I find in, in, in this parable. And the first is this. It's simply to practice patience. Practice patience. Of course, we should expect evil. That's part of it. But this parable takes it one step further and says not only should you expect evil in this world, you should practice patience in light of it. You should practice patience in light of it. Remember, the, the servants, they didn't consider waiting. They're more than ready to remove the opposition. You know, if we're honest, this, this, this seems like the right way, right? I, it definitely seems like the American way. I, there's nothing I hate more than waiting. Maybe you feel the same way. I want things immediately. I have Amazon Prime, right? I, if a web page takes longer than two seconds to load, I close out of it. I mean, that's how bad it is. One pastor said, you know, we want a kingdom. We want a kingdom that's more like outpatient surgery. You go in, remove the problem, and get out. But Jesus gives us one that's more like a seed. It takes time. It grows. We want... We want a kingdom that's more like outpatient surgery that comes in, removes the weeds, and is done, sends us home. But Jesus gives us a kingdom that's more like a seed. Now, Jesus was likely hinting at some of the revolutionary groups of their day, right? Those who wanted a return of someone like Judas Maccabees. They were, uh, there were many at this time ready to you know, pull out the weeds of the pagan Roman Empire who occupied them or to go against the Jews who, who had compromised their own allegiance to God. And to be fair, they had good intentions. Most of them want, want to serve God. They want God to act, and they're more than ready to do it on His behalf. But God calls us to patience in the face of opposition to the kingdom. The truth is that the kingdom in our present day is obscure. And only in the final day will it be fully revealed. I mean, think for a second who you might consider to be the enemies of the kingdom. How do you act? What do you do? We all probably have different people or things in mind. What should you do in the face of the weeds? Now, to be very clear, Jesus is more than ready to point out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And Paul warns of false prophets, but he also warns of the false ways of the world. James is going to do the same thing. And in this parable, right, even, even the servants, they, they distinguish between the wheat and the weeds. And yet there is a difference between being persuasive with the truth and trying to destroy your opponents. There's a difference between being persuasive with the truth and trying to destroy your opponents. I mean, Consider, consider how many have been turned away from Christ because of the nastiness of combative believers. How many? Like Jesus, be patient in your zeal for the kingdom for the sake of the sons of the kingdom. Be patient in your zeal for the kingdom for the sake of the sons of the kingdom. But then you might ask, well, what do we do then? And the... And that's, the, that's our next application. These, next, these parables also prompt us to, what I'd say, think little, to borrow a Wendell Berry phrase. To think little. I mean, we're often concerned with the grand sweeping action, you know, getting the right laws in place, creating the huge social programs of change, having the massive rallies. And these aren't bad things. These are good things, and they have their place and their time. 
But I think the emphasis of Jesus in this parable, I mean, even, even really the emphasis for big change to happen in the first place is to first think little. The kingdom really grows through the everyday little acts of faithfulness. Among the places and people God brings you each day, practicing just a faithful presence wherever you go, practicing righteousness and evangelism, seeking justice and mercy in our homes, our vocations, and in our community. But, you know, this type of work isn't that glamorous. And at times it can feel like nothing is happening. We're liable to be frustrated, liable to be impatient, because it takes a while for a seed to grow. It takes a while for a seed to grow. But no matter what it seems like, it is growing. When you're sharing your faith and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere, when your kids are driving you nuts and you wonder to God, are they maturing at all? You can tell where I'm at right now. When you wonder how your vocation is really contributing. Even today when you read the news, when it sounds like everything seems to be going the wrong way, the seed is growing through the small, everyday faithfulness of the sons of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is unexpected. It allows evil to grow. It's small and it's hidden. And it calls us to practice patience, but also to think little. The next two points are a little bit shorter than the first, but no less important. In verse 44 and 45, Jesus continues to teach on the kingdom and shows us our second main point. The kingdom of heaven is worth it. The kingdom of heaven is worth it. Jesus' hearers may have been maybe disappointed by a a kingdom that allows evil or is small and hidden. And yet Jesus' point in these two parables is that the kingdom of heaven is worth it. That if you can find just this one thing, nothing else matters. Jesus, he introduces us to a man who finds a hidden treasure. In the ancient world, your, your backyard, it was kind of like your bank, right? So you, you'd bury valuables in places that only you knew. But if you died, then your treasure would stay there until someone else found it. This is kind of the situation that Jesus is describing in verse 44. Uh, well, we, then, we then find a merchant in the next parable searching for pearls until he finds that one pearl of greatest value. He's the pictures of one searching the markets and byways and then all the pearls he have he sells for this one precious pearl in both these parables the characters give up everything in order to gain the kingdom yet yet this giving up of everything it wasn't a pain or a burden or a duty rather it was the point is that it was for their joy It was further joy to obtain this one thing. It was an immense joy to sell everything for this one thing. This is the worth of the kingdom, and it is like nothing else. It's worth it. And it invites us to seek it. Right? I mean, my my wife is a little embarrassed by this, uh, but I've always been a big Indiana Jones fan. Um, And I think everyone in Wichita is as well, right? Because he visits yearly. Anyway, Indiana Jones visits yearly. Anyway, when I was little, my, my grandpa put together this elaborate treasure hunt. 
it led through the woods and through the trees and we had to decipher codes and it ended with a treasure chest stuffed in a log. It, it was amazing. I, it's one of, one of my best memories. I don't remember a lot, but I remember that. But what I love so much about Indiana Jones or any treasure movie is that the hero goes to any lengths to gain the treasure. They sacrifice all they have for the joy of finding that priceless goal. The point of showing us that the kingdom is worth it is to spark our curiosity to find it, to seek it with all that we have, with all that we are. In some ways, it's, it's the whole point of using a parable to teach in the first place. One scholar writes that parables, you know, they make us discover meaning, search for the greatest pearl, find the buried treasure, inhabit another world. I mean, as Josh mentioned last week, we might consider parables to be hard sayings and wonder, Jesus, why can't... I mean, one of the common questions I get, why can't the Bible just be clearer? Why can't it just be clearer? And yet I think that's kind of the point. We are meant to wrestle with it, to seek it, to dig for it like buried treasure, to comb through it like a priceless pearl. Because it's sort of in that pursuit that we actually become trained for the kingdom. We seek this kingdom as we read the parables, as well as reading all of Scripture to see the way God acts throughout history. It's a wisdom that that shapes how we see and interact with the rest of the world. When we know that Jesus' kingdom is worth everything, then we'll devote all we are to finding it and living according to it. The kingdom that Jesus brings will get this cause us to shine, shine like the Father in the kingdom. The kingdom now and the kingdom that we long for to come. And that's where we turn next. We seek the kingdom because it's worth everything, but then Jesus teaches us one last reality about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is not for everyone. A, a friend of mine used this wording, and I think it perfectly captures the last parable. We move from farming to fishing with Jesus' last parable. And in the ancient world, you have two boats and they string a net between the two of them and drag the water for fish. But in dragging a net, you catch all sorts of things, right? And so you had to do the laborious task of taking it back to shore and then sorting out the edible fish from all the trash. And Jesus said, this is what the kingdom is like when the end of the age and the final judgment of God comes. Notice how Jesus' last parable, it repeats many of the same concepts from the end of the explanation of the weeds in verse 40. They share much of the same terminology, right? Angels and the end of the age. They have the same imagery, a fiery furnace and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And verse 41 tells us that the kind of things that we will be removed from the kingdom, identifying all types of all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. Because while the kingdom may allow evil to grow for a time, it doesn't allow evil to persist. He, he describes this point twice. In these parables, we, we learn a lot about how evil comes and why it lingers, but also what, its final, what will be its final fate. Over and over the Bible lets us know that evil's days are numbered. 
And in these parables, we have a unique picture of God's judgment, right? I mean, God isn't, he isn't an overbearing tyrant, eager, ready and eager to condemn all of his unique creation. But neither is he the sort of parent who just lets their kid do whatever they want and then, you know, gives them a reward or ice cream at the end of the day. Either would be a gross distortion. Instead, we have a God who's patient and waiting, but certain in judgment. The stark reality of the kingdom is that a net is coming, the field will be harvested, the world is marching toward a goal. And for those who already follow Jesus, this should be encouraging, all right? I mean, God's judgment is severe, but no one wants evil to persist. No one wants pain, sorrow, and injustice to continue. We we all long for God's final justice to put the world right, to remove all causes of sin and pain and grief. But this parable also calls us to examine ourselves. Are we like wheat or weeds, bad fish or good fish? Are we seeking the kingdom or selling it off? Friends, we can't mess around with Jesus. He brings a kingdom that is eternal, a kingdom that is for anyone, but it is not for everyone. It's for anyone, but not everyone will get in. It's for those who who have given their life and allegiance to the king of this kingdom. Because the king doesn't just stand far off waiting to judge those who don't fall in line. The King, Jesus, came in the flesh to make a way for us to be counted as citizens of this kingdom. And this is our good news. It is only by Jesus' shed blood that the judgment doesn't fall on us. But friends, Jesus doesn't just save us from hell. He saves us for His kingdom, the kingdom that is worth it, the kingdom that is glorious. Notice in verse 43, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, a kingdom without end, without pain or sin. The sons of the kingdom shine because they perfectly reflect their father's glory. The kingdom to come is worth the wait. It's worth the patience. It's worth the seeking. It's more than you can imagine. And this kingdom we are saved for, it's not only a joy one day that we long for, that we wait patiently for, but it's one Jesus brought in his incarnation. Of course, the harvest hasn't come yet, but Jesus' kingdom has started to break through with his arrival. And we're meant to live in light of this kingdom now, to see the world through the wisdom of the kingdom So at the end of Jesus' teaching, he turns to his disciples and asks, do you understand? It's the same question he has for us today. Do you understand the nature of this kingdom that he is bringing? Do you understand why evil is allowed to grow and how we are called to patience in light of it? Do you see that God's kingdom is in the small and the hidden things of this world? calling us to faithful practice in the small and little acts of righteousness each day. Do you believe that God's kingdom is worth it, that it is worth all you are and all you have? Would you place everything for the riches of this kingdom? And lastly, do you understand that this kingdom 
It isn't for everyone. But for those who respond to the king in repentance and belief. Jesus wants you, wants his disciples to be trained in the reality of this kingdom. Right? He says at the, at the end of this passage, he says, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. What is old, what has been told since the beginning of time, that God reigns, that this is his world, but now newly has been seen in the light of Christ, the king who has come, who is ushering in his kingdom, that we both live in now and long to come dramatically one day. He wants you to see the world through these kingdom glasses. Because when you do, you will not only live differently, but you will be able to train others. That's his hope in these last few verses. That you would, Jesus wants you to be able to bring out the treasures of the kingdom to share with others. Because while this, while this kingdom may not be what people expect, it is more than they could possibly imagine. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, may we live each day as sons and daughters of the kingdom, leading others to see the truth of your reign. I'm reminded of the lines from Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the prayer of our heart, that your kingdom would reign in our hearts even now, as we long for the fullness of your kingdom to come and put all the world right. It is a dramatic hope, an amazing promise. It's in Christ I pray. Amen.